Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Joshua chapter 11, beginning with verse 12. The title of this message is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah, and the mountains of Israel with their foothills, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon, He captured all their kings and put them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites, very important. We'll get back to the Anakites momentarily. From the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in Israelite territory. Only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did any survive. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. In 1980, Eugene Peterson wrote a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He took that phrase from the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, although Uh, Peterson used it in a totally different way than Nietzsche did. Nietzsche used it to apply to the living of human life, that it's a long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson, uh, in a much better way, took it as as a description of the living of a life of faith or the living of the Christian life. That book that Peterson wrote is one in which he takes a section of the Psalms, he takes 15 of the Psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, which if you look in your Bibles, they have a title above them called a Psalm of Ascent, meaning that those 15 Psalms were songs that the Jewish people sang as they were walking up the hill to Jerusalem on the way to worship. They were songs sang uphill. Peterson took those 15 psalms and he dissected them in this book and then applied them to the living out of the Christian faith. He uses those psalms to show all of us that the way to God is lifelong and it is hard and it requires consistent perseverance. At one point, Peterson said this, great quote. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. 
But there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, the little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. It takes only a moment for any person to invite Jesus Christ into his or her heart, but it takes a lifetime to follow through on that commitment and live out what it means to live the life that follows Jesus in words and in actions. By the time we get to Joshua chapter 11 verse 15, the Israelites have conquered much of Canaan, though not all. The battles to win Canaan are condensed in a very short narrative in Joshua chapters 10 and 11. If you look at Joshua chapter 10, you will find that that chapter describes the conquest of the southern portion of the land of Canaan. And then chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, describe the conquest of the northern part of the land of Canaan. So when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River, and then he invaded Jericho and finally defeated Ai, from that point he went south in a southern direction, invaded the towns of the southern part of Palestine. Once he finished that, he proceeded to take the northern towns. There was a very geographic plan to what Joshua did. Now, if you start reading chapter 11, verse 1, and you read to the I mean, chapter 10, verse 1, and you read to the end of chapter 11, uh, it probably will not take you any more than 10 minutes, certain, certainly 20 minutes tops, to read those two chapters. But what you and I can read in 10 minutes is a bit deceptive. At least the time frame is deceptive because, because that, those two chapters, which can be read in 10 minutes, describe a process that took many, many years to accomplish. If the Israelites thought that they would cross over Jordan and invade the land of Canaan in a matter of days, they were very disappointed when it came to it, because the process of taking the land was a long and dreary and bloody process. Verse 18 of chapter 11 explains or describes in a short verse better than anything else. Verse 18 says, Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. It was not a quick and easy victory. Joshua found out the hard way what America has found out the hard way in our most recent wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. It is, it is one thing to achieve victory, but it is a totally different thing to establish that victory over a long period of time. As you read Joshua, you will note that there are 24 chapters in the book of Joshua But when you get to the end of chapter 11, they have conquered the land of Canaan. Why doesn't the book just end right there at chapter 11? Why is it that when you end chapter 11 with them saying that the land had rest from war and that they had conquered all that Moses had told Joshua to conquer, why is it that you're still not halfway through the book at the end of chapter 11? Perhaps it's because you can win the battles and yet still have battles. Isn't that the way it is in the Christian life as well? 
Isn't that the way it is? Anybody who thinks getting into the Christian walk and receiving Christ as Savior and living for Him, anybody who thinks that that is a walk in the park is going to be disappointed. Yes, yes, there will be bright days. Yes, there will be joyful days. Yes, there will be days when your joy flows over. Your cup will run over, but there will be many more days that are dark, that are tough, that are trial-ridden. Many days when you will force yourself to get up. Many days when you will force yourself to live that day minute by minute in the way of Christ. Israel's conquest of Canaan took a long time. And the living of the Christian life takes a long time. The Israelites crossed over Jordan in a single day. But the conquest of Canaan took years upon years. You and I can receive Christ in a single moment or a few moments. But living out that commitment takes a long time. And I think that's one of the things that makes this passage so applicable to you and me today in the 21st century. Joshua and the Israelites struggle to conquer Canaan is, is applicable to you, and, to you and me as we struggle to conquer our own lives, the struggles of our own lives, as we try to, to, uh, to, to conquer our own Canaan. And there are some principles that I think can help us. First of all, I want you to note that this passage and this whole book of Joshua teaches us that God most often works over the long haul. And so if you and I want to be effective in living the Christian life, we must be committed to the long haul. If you and I are only committed to Christ during those times when, when God performs these flash-in-the-pan God moment immediate times, immediate experiences, immediate joys, then we will live frustrated lives. What God does more often than not is He works through the long haul. That doesn't mean that there won't be times when God works spur of the moment. I run into people sometimes, they say, you know, I was in a certain circumstance and I prayed for God to do something, and do you know, within a few days, bang, God intervened, and right there he did it. What I asked him to do? I said, man, that's great. I envy those folks. In fact, I get angry at those folks. Somebody come to me and they said, man, I asked for God to do something, he did it right then and there, I'm just, I, I'm wanting to hit them. Because that's not the way that customarily I find God working in my own life. Yes, there are times when he does things right there on the spot, but they are exceptional. They are the rare experience. More often than, God, than not, God works through the long haul. And therefore, you and I must be committed to the long haul. God calls his people, he calls us to lasting faithfulness over a long period of time. And even when God is at work, there are many days that consist of washing your face and brushing your teeth and taking out the garbage and going to work and vacuuming the carpet and putting up with circumstances and people that you don't want to have to put up with. And yet that is the reality of life. If we think... That walking the Christian life is walking with rose-colored glasses. If we think that it's always going to be pleasant, that everybody is always going to be right there for us and with us and agree with us, we will be disappointed because it's just simply not reality. But what you and I must do is be committed to the long haul. 
because God works in the long haul. The second thing I think you'll notice in these verses is that not only do we need to be committed to the long haul, but we will often make mistakes as we devote ourselves to the long haul. We'll make mistakes, and therefore the best thing we can do is learn from our mistakes. There's nothing more frustrating and more aggravating than someone who refuses to admit their mistakes. Everybody else is at fault. They never admit a mistake. Let me tell you, we all, we all fail. We all come short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. But mistakes can do one of two things. Either they can define who we are and therefore cripple us from any future productivity, or they can prepare us for something greater. I know it's a cliche, and we see it on billboards from time to time, but it is actually a good cliche, if I can say that, and you know how I hate church marquee cliches, but our past does not define us, it prepares us. It can, it can make us what we can be for the future. The Israelites made a ton of mistakes, wow. From the time they came out of Egypt, they were making one mistake after another. They, they didn't have the mud from the Red Sea dried on the bottom of their sandals before they were complaining about their time in the wilderness, complaining against Moses, complaining against God. It wasn't long after that that they started misremembering the old days in Egypt. You ever do that? You ever get to a place, especially those of us who are, who are older in life, we look back to the, quote, good old days as if they were a whole lot better than what they really, really were. The Israelites got out in the wilderness, and because the manna didn't come as fast as they wanted it to, some of them went up to Moses and they said, man, I wish, I wish like everything we were back in Egypt where we used to smell the barbecue grills grow uh, as they were cooking barbecue. As we were standing beside the flesh pots, they say. You know what the problem was with that? The, 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 the meat that they were cooking on the grills, they weren't eating it. They were cooking it for the Egyptians, but they forgot about that because it was the good old days, you call. Mistake after mistake. Once they got in, uh, into the promised land across from uh, the Jordan, a man named Achan foolishly kept back part of the bounty of Jericho when that bounty belonged exclusively to God. It cost him his life underestimating the determination of the small townsfolk of the city of Ai when Ai first defeated the Israelites in a humiliating defeat, making a peace treaty with the Gibeonites without consulting God to see if it was God's will for them to make a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. And then ultimately, though the Israelites conquered the promised land, when you get to the end of the book of Joshua, what you find out is they conquered the promised land, but they didn't conquer the promised land. You see, there's a bit of a contradiction there. They won the battles, but yet the battles were still going. They defeated all the cities, and yet the inhabitants were still there. In fact, if you go into the book of Judges, which is the gloomiest book in the Old Testament, you go into the book of, of Judges, and they had trouble after trouble after trouble, and the only reason they had trouble is because they failed to do what God had totally told them to do in the conquest. They made mistake after mistake. What do you do when you make mistakes? You have to learn from those mistakes. Don't let them define you. I mentioned to you verse 21. 
which says at that time Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites. That was an instance of Joshua remembering from a, from a past mistake. The children of Anak. Do you remember who they were? Back in the book of Numbers, after Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the wilderness, they spent two years in the wilderness, and then God told Moses, he said, I want you to set up a, a committee of twelve, one, from, one person from each tribe, and I want you to send them up into the land of Canaan to spy out the land that I have already given you. And so these 12 guys, they get together and they go up into the land of Canaan. The Bible says they spent 40 days in the land of Canaan spying it out. And then they came back after 40 days and they, by a 10 to 2 vote, recommended that the Israelites not go into the promised land. You remember that, don't you? There were only two people who voted to, to go on in the promised land. They were Joshua and Caleb. Nobody remembers the names of any of the ten who said, let's not go. But let me tell you what they said when they came back. Those ten who voted not to go, they said, look, we went up in there and we saw the inhabitants of that land and we saw the children of, here it is, Anak. And they were giant people. Compared to them, we were like grasshoppers. They would wipe us out with a single blow. They, they are the reason that we cannot go. And so the children of Israel took that recommendation, voted not to go into the promised land, and for that reason, they, they had to wander for another 38 years, a total of 40 years, one year for every day the spies went, out, went up into the land of Canaan. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. All because they were afraid of the Anakites. Do you think that fact was lost on Joshua? As he's leading the children of Israel from city to city to city, he remembers the mistake of being afraid of the Anakites. And so when he comes up into the region of the Anakites, rather than, than repeating that mistake, what does he do? He, he consults the Lord and the Lord says, Joshua, do not be afraid. I've already given them to you take the cities, but don't let a single person there survive. Joshua remembered a mistake and he refused to repeat it. You and I need to be in it for the long haul because God works in the long haul. We need to realize that we will make mistakes. Don't be too hard on yourself because you will make mistakes. Learn from those mistakes. But number three, mark your victories. As you go through the Christian life, mark your victories, especially the big ones, because those victories will sustain you on some of the darkest days of your life. What were some of the big days for the children of Israel? I'll tell you one big day was the day that Moses stood beside the Red Sea and he parted the Red Sea. God used him to part the Red Sea. And the Bible says that the waters divided and they, the Hebrew, Hebrew word says they congealed on the side, a wall of jello. And with that wall of jello on either side, the, the children of Israel walked across the bed of the Red Sea as if it were dry ground. That was a big, big victory. Joshua lived through that. Joshua lived through the giving of manna every day and the giving of quail out in a place where there was no quail. Joshua remembered the fire by night and the smoke by day. He remembered when God 
took Moses on the top of Mount Sinai and with God's own finger, he carved the law out of the stone tablets. Joshua remembered that. Joshua remembered when the priests stuck their toes into the Jordan River that God miraculously dammed up the river so that the children of Israel could cross the Jordan River during flood stage. Joshua remembered the miraculous victory in Jericho where they didn't even have to fire a weapon. All they did was march and shout and blow trumpets. But there were some dark days for Joshua. There were some days, like is, like is the case with all of our heroes in the Old Testament, when Joshua wanted to give up. He wanted to quit. And right at the point where he wanted to quit, God would cause him to remember, Joshua, do you remember what I did with the Red Sea? Joshua, do you remember what I did with the manna? Do you remember what I did with the quail? Do you remember what I did with writing, carving those, those, engraving those words into those stones? Do you remember when I dammed up the Jordan River? Do you remember when I caused the walls of Jericho to collapse? Do you remember? And Joshua would remember, and those victories that he remembered would, would sustain him. I'll tell you again what you already know. And that is that even as a Christian, there will be days when God lets you go through the darkest of times. And there will be days when privately, you may not say this to anybody else, but privately you're thinking, I'm done. I'm done with church, I'm done with Christianity, I'm done with God, I'm done with people, I'm done, 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 done. And here's what I, I believe this word says to us. When you get to the point where you're almost done, stop, look back at the victories, especially those big victories, and everybody in here has got some but even the small victories, go back, look at those. Look at the places where God sustained you, where you know that God worked in your life. Uh, last time I was here, before I went on vacation, I preached on finding your Gilcal. Do you remember that? Two people. Find your Gilgal. What is a Gilgal? It is a place in your life where God did something memorable. There won't be many of them, although God does a lot of things we don't that we don't recognize, but there will be some Gilgal places where God does things that are memorable. Look back on those, grab those with everything you've got, and they will sustain you through the darkest of times. They'll keep you from giving up. They'll keep you from being done. Finally, remember this, that in any endeavor... The most important aspect, if not one of the most important aspects, is follow-through. This is why. Follow-through is why you end with chapter 11, and they've conquered the land of Canaan, but it doesn't let in there because from chapter 12 through 24, they have to establish what they've conquered. They have to make what the victory that they've achieved stick. First church I ever pastored, I was bivocational. Bivocational means you're pastoring full-time, but the church is not your main job. I was paid $400 a month to pastor at Bethlehem Church, a great church, but I worked as a, a credit officer in uh, Wachovia Bank for four years while, we, while Amanda and I were there. 
And when we went to that church, they gave nothing to missions at all. No money to missionaries. They didn't support any missionaries. They were a great church, but they just never been taught about giving to missions. We were there four years before I went full-time uh, as a pastor without a secondary job. But in our third year there, we led the church. We convinced the church to give 10% of her offerings to the Southern Baptist Convention Cooperative Program, which is our Baptist way of, of pooling our monies and then sending missionaries around the world. Over 10,000 missionaries we send uh, every year through a cooperative program dollars. I was so thankful for what God had enabled us to be able to do. That was in the third year we were there. I was there four years. We left there and went to another church. Within two years, the church had rescinded that move to give 10% to missions. They took it back. We had won a victory, but we had not established that victory in that church. See, that's a problem. Making a decision is one thing, but establishing that decision, following through on that decision, is what is often missing in people's lives. The Israelites had conquered Canaan. By the time we get to the end of chapter 11, but it takes from chapter 12 through chapter 24 to follow through. And even at the end of chapter 24... There's still parts to be conquered. This year is the 75th anniversary of one of the most shameful acts in American history. In 1942, President Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, two months after the Pearl Harbor attack. And that executive order consigned more than 110,000 Japanese-American citizens on the West Coast to hastily built concentration camps in America. 110,000 of them. There were, there were business owners. There were farmers. There were real estate investors, Japanese-American, who were abducted. They, they and their families arrested and placed in these concentration camps. Their lands were confiscated. Their jobs were confiscated. Many of them lost everything. There was a young boy by the name of Norman Manita. He was the son of a Japanese-American insurance agent. And Norman and his mom and dad, their whole family, were, were arrested and taken to this concentration camp. They were labeled as security risks. This in spite of the fact that many of these same Japanese-American young men, the families in the young, the, the young men in those families had, had volunteered for service because they were so outraged by what their homeland of, ja of Japan was doing. And so they wanted to, to fight for America. Some of the parents of those Japanese-American families decided while they were in prison to start a Cub Scout troop for their kids. And Norman joined the Cub Scout troop, and they even invited, and it was encouraged, that young boys who were not Japanese-American, who lived outside the concentration camp, be invited to join in the, in the Cub Scout troops. And there was a man, a, a, a teenager, wasn't a man, his name was Alan Simpson. And although he really didn't want to go, his parents thought it would be a good idea. They took him, and he joined in this Cub Scout troop. And he became very good friends with Norman Manita. That's in the mid-40s. 
Fast forward 30 years in the 70s, and Norman Mineta is a Democratic congressman in Washington, and Alan Simpson is a Republican congressman in Washington, and they're still good friends. And Alan Simpson, the Republican, went to Norman Mineta, the Democrat, and said, you and your families and people like you were mistreated, and we need to rectify that. And so together they came up with legislation to rectify what had gone terribly wrong, what we had, how we had terribly mistreated these 110,000 Japanese Americans but who were American citizens. And they finally got legislation passed. You know how long it took them? Ten years. It took them ten years to get things through. You know why? Because things that are worthwhile take time. And you know something that's worthwhile? What's worthwhile is fighting your fam- for your families. What's worthwhile is fighting for your children. What's worthwhile is fighting for your nation. What's worthwhile is fighting for your church. What is more worthwhile than all of that, though, is living for Christ. And you can make the decision just like that. But it'll take your whole life to follow through. What is the living of the Christian life? Here's what it is. Are you ready for this? It's a long obedience in the same direction. So I ask you this. Are you committed to the long haul? Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful to you that Your word is so honest with us. Nowhere do you promise us that the Christian life will be a walk in the park. At no point in your word do you promise us that following you is going to be easy. At no point do you tell us that we will always be happy, we'll always be joyful, that everybody will always like us, that everyone will always agree. You don't tell us that. In fact, you tell us just the opposite. You tell us that it's going to be hard. In this life, you will have tribulation. That's a verbatim statement from you, Lord. But Lord, you work in the long haul. Some of us, it just takes longer even for you to change us, to transform us. Lord, help us to be in it for the long haul. Help us to be committed to you in Jesus' name. Amen.